amen. Now give that person around you a hug or a high five or a way to go or something. Praise God. God is amazing. You know, the other night I was watching a, a documentary and, and uh, it's kind of crazy because I, I didn't know this, that I, I don't remember the date, <clears throat> but Billy Graham did a crusade in Seoul, Korea, and it was the largest attended uh, meeting ever, uh, 1.1 or 2 million people came to that meeting. And they, show, they were showing clips of it, of this, you know, just this, I mean, it's hard to imagine a million people. But they had a way that they electronically counted, and I thought, I, thought about, I thought about technology and how then, which this has got to have been in the early 70s, I'm guessing. Uh, man, it may not even have been, it may have been earlier than that, because all the stuff I was looking at was black and white. So... Um, they had a way to electronic account it by going out and, and roping off and putting these post little pillars up all over everywhere, basically sectioning off in quadrants and then knowing how many people could possibly fit in there and then knowing <laughs> the spaces were filled up. And that's how they aerial counted how many people and said it was pretty accurate, you know. But a million people, just thinking about a million people just looking about there, and I was thinking, what? You know, man, Billy Graham's one of my heroes, you know. I mean, I, I think he was an amazing, used by God. He was an amazing man of God. But these people came out, a million people came out to hear a message about love, hear a message about grace, hear a message about, I, I, it didn't go into the message he exactly preached that night, but telling them about Jesus. And uh, there was no miracles. There was no, not miracles in the sense of, you know, mass healings or anything like that. There was just hungry people came out. You've got to be hungry to go sit out on a tarmac for uh, however long. And they said some people stayed, were there like the day before so they could get closer. And it stayed there a whole day to wait for, you know, the, the event and everything. And, and I was just, when I was watching, I was so blessed. Just thinking, and these hungry souls, these hungry souls. And I thought, if you go look at it, you go look at back at history, you look at Billy Graham's ministry, he had such amazing crowds of people at the time that he ministered. And they came because they were hungry and there was conviction in their life. And I was just praying over the America and praying over our land and, and our church and my life and everything about having the conviction of the Holy Ghost. Okay. And, and I, I, I got to thinking about this message I just preached about, about your altar about having these pillars in your life, and that once you have those pillars established in your life and you're holding, you've got something then to hold on to. But without those pillars, you don't have anything. Y'all follow me? You basically are going to do whatever you want to do, and that's what it seems like the world's doing right now, that you do whatever you want to do, and you just don't want anybody to tell you not to do it because you don't want to be, I'm going to say, convicted that what you're doing is wrong, okay? But what we need right now is a really good dose of the Holy Ghost. Conviction upon people's lives. Conviction that what they're doing is wrong. Conviction, to, but you've gotta, have, you've gotta have something to bring it back to, and I'm gonna show you this. John chapter six, Gospel of John chapter six tonight. 
So get your Bibles out and go to John 6. And you should take some time reading John 6 because it's a, <clears throat> it's a really interesting chapter. Jesus is out. If you, if you read the whole thing, I'm not going to get into all of it, but it, I'll just tell you what it says. If you read the whole thing, you know, Jesus is preaching a message and he's basically telling everybody that he's the only way. He's telling everybody that he's the bread of life. He's telling everybody, if you really want to serve me, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And, and, and people were having a hard time with this message. Just like the people are having a hard time with that same message now. Right? We want to take everything and mold everything to where it fits everybody, but you can't preach a gospel that fits everybody. You preach the gospel, and then the people who have a heart to live for righteousness or live for Jesus, then they convert and become that way, right? And then you set up these pillars in your life and say, look, this is what I believe, and I'm not going to be changed. I'm going to live for righteousness. I'm not going to be a thief. You know, there's people that have problems with the Ten Commandments. I don't know why anybody had any problems with the Ten Commandments. I was taught from a kid before I really even had a heart on fire for Jesus that you shouldn't be doing whatever's in the Ten Commandments, right? Well, let me say that the other way. Yeah. You should not be. Am I saying that right? Or am I, or am I just not making any good sense here? You got me? You know what I'm talking about. You don't break them. How about that? Right? And I mean, that was just set up. It's a standard. You just, that, that's what you did. You're not a thief. You don't steal. Right? I mean, nobody, nobody had to get out and beat me over there. The Bible tell me not to steal. You just knew it wasn't right. Okay. So Jesus is preaching this message and he's throwing this out. He said, look, it's me. You've got to follow me. You've got to forsake all. You've got to follow me. You've got to literally eat my flesh and drink my blood. You've got to come into me so deeply that nothing else matters. This is it. And it says in verse 60, John 6, 60, it says, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, ah, well, this is a hard saying, and who can understand it? All right. Above that, in one of the other verses above it, it says, and there were some disciples that left. They couldn't handle it anymore. They're like, ah, uh, let's just, let's find a easier message. Now, does this, I mean, I'm amazed that when I read the Bible of events that happened, you know, roughly 2,000 years ago, that they fit in what we see happening today. I mean, it's amazing how the Bible does that. And so here you go. You got people in the world today, and they just want to do what they want to do because they think it's right. And uh, here's Jesus preaching. This is what the truth is. And there is, it says disciples, many of his disciples. Doesn't say the common person. It says disciples. All right. A disciple is supposed to be a follower of something, right? So it was people that were close to him. And they're like, ooh, come on, Lord, tone it down. We can't handle that. We can't. I mean, what do you mean? That's too much. So Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this. He said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you here who do not believe. 
For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and would betray him and said, therefore, I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. <clears throat> now, this is my question. I'm going to get down to this in a minute, but I'm just going to, tell you, I'm just going to throw this out there to you. If, if, you, if you were a disciple and you had seen Jesus performing miracles, turning water into wine, preaching a message of love, you had listened to the Sermon on the Mount, let's say, and you were like, yeah, oh, touch my heart. You'd been out there. You'd seen Jesus break bread and, and the fish and, and, and served all the 5,000 people. You'd seen these things happen. Then how could you stop right there and say, ah, oh, well, okay, that's too much. I can't go there. How could you do that? They didn't believe, but let's just also look at something else here. I think they grew accustomed to him. I think they grew accustomed to Jesus and accustomed to his message and accustomed to his love and accustomed to his seeing miracles and accustomed. And it became accustomed. I think a lot of Christians today are just accustomed to church. All right. They're just accustomed. They, they don't want the, the boat to rock because they already got their path. They already got their head. They already got their nicey, nicey. They already got everything. I remember one time that a, uh, and he, uh, I was reading a, a, a book by an evangelist, and he was talking about a story that he had been uh, preaching at this certain church, and uh, <clears throat> he would get through at the meetings at night to be about midnight, and he just was geared up and fired up, and he didn't really want to go back to bed, and he was in a hotel room by himself, and there was a little restaurant down there, and he went down there, and now it's midnight, and so he goes in there to, you know, drink a cup of coffee or whatever he's going to do. I don't know what he's going to do, but... Uh, have something to just kind of chill out. And, and in there, all the ladies of the night were coming into that restaurant because it was in a downtown area that he was at. And uh, they, uh, that's where they came to at night. And, and he was there. So he gets to visiting with them. They don't know he's a preacher. And he starts talking to them. And one thing leads to the next. And then he goes through there. And before long, he leads one of them to the Lord. And then that one's all excited. And then so he says, well, I'm preaching over this church if y'all would like to come. So then they came, like 25 strong. And when they came into the church at this place that he'd been preaching about reaching the world and winning the world and doing all this kind of stuff, when those 25, you know, ladies came into church that were not dressed right, not done right, well, then all the church, you know, it's kind of like at a moment, you know, the air sucked out of the places, everybody, you know, and then it, it disrupted the service and got everything all messed up because, you know, that, that they weren't accustomed to that. And I think that we as Christians, we really have to be the kind of people that we're going to follow Jesus no matter what. And, you know, if things get a little hairy one way or the other, a little different or a little whatever, that we can't just throw back and say, well, wait a minute, you know, I don't eat my flesh and drink my blood. I don't know. That's just a little too much. So then it says, Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? And Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, they came to this place in their life, and this is a pillar, right, in your altar, that you say, where else am I going to go? I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died for me. I believe his blood washed my sins away. Where else am I going to go? Am I going to go? Am I going to just say, okay, well, this is getting too difficult. Let's go find another Christianity. Let's go find another religion. Let's go. 
You know, let's go check out Buddha. Let's go check out something else. Let's go, you know, that looks like it's more fun over there. Right? If you know that Jesus is the Son of God, where else are you going to go? What else are you going to do? And I think that's where a lot of us are caught right now. I don't mean this in a bad negative sense. I'm just saying you're caught in the sense that I ain't got nowhere else to go. Are you with me? I, I don't know any other gospel but this gospel. I can't change the gospel. I can't change that Jesus, what he's done in my life and where he's, how he's touched me and moved and blessed and, and who he is and what the word says. I can't change. I'm not going. I cannot water it down. I got nowhere else to go. I'm not going to take watered down Christianity. I just soon stay home. Right? I don't need to play church. If Jesus is not real and changing people's lives, and listen to me. Oh, listen to this. I know that he has the power that any person that comes to him by faith or in faith, he will touch your life and he will change you. And if you're not seeing Jesus moving in your life, you're not seeing anything going on in your life, then I want to tell you something. There's something wrong with your heart, heart and your altar. It's not God's fault. God will do anything anything for you, but he requires that you believe in him and trust him and do it his way. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the truth and I'm the life, but people don't want to do that. They want to find another way and there isn't another way. There's no back door. You can't climb in through a window. You come through the front door or nothing else. You put on the wedding garment or you don't go to the wedding. Hello? There's no way around it. And this spirit that's moving over the United States right now, it's over the whole world, but it's just really hitting the United States right now, and, and, and flowing, it's trying to get people to compromise. And we can't compromise. Where else are we going to go? What are we going to do? I mean, you just might as well just go ahead and put me on a, crucify me on a cross because I can't change. I've got nowhere else to go. Y'all with me? And so Christians, as Christians, we've got to become and I say this in meaning it in a good sense. We have got to become so radical in our faith that uh, that's what starts changing the world. Now, I want to look at another scripture. Go to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. So Peter, then let's just get this straight. <clears throat> Peter had this revelation and he said, where else are we going to go? Well, that didn't mean Peter wasn't going to sin. All right. Because he denied Jesus three times. On, at the day of the crucifixion. So it doesn't mean you got perfect. It just means I got no other option. I'm going down this path. I may mess up and mess up, but I'm going down this path. I got to look this up just a second because um, this isn't in my notes. Something I just thought about. Yeah, it's Luke chapter 9. Go, just turn to Luke chapter 9 right quick. Let me just show you something here. Luke 9, and, um, <clears throat> you know, the, the, it starts out here in Luke chapter 9. You know, Jesus sends a, the, the 12 out to go out. He gives them power and authority to heal all uh, over demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to preach the gospel of the kingdom and heal the sick, right? So they go out doing that. We know that in Luke 10 that they come back with the 70 rejoicing. They're seeing miracles, signs, wonders. So all this stuff's happening, right? Then you see in, in verse 10 that he fed the 5,000 and then you, you just keep looking on down and, uh, 
And it just keeps going on, miracle, miracle, miracle. They go up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They see the cloud come. They see it descend upon them. They, you know, hear the Father say, this is my son in whom I'm pleased, right? Y'all following me here? All these things, big things happening, big things happening, big things happening, big things happening. They come down from the mountain. The boy is healed. Jesus cast the devil out of him, right? Okay. And then just look at this in verse 46. These are these guys that had just saw this happen. It says, and they disputed among themselves, which of them would be the greatest? Wow. 49 says, they saw one, they told uh, uh, someone casting out uh, uh, demons in your name, and we told them not to, and Jesus said, man, you're missing it, guys. You know, you did that wrong. All right? 51, the Samaritan village rejects them. And they said, let's call fire down on it. All I'm trying to make a point there is that them boys are some real winners. That's what I'm saying. That's the point I want to get across. That could be us. My point is, is that we as Christians always got to think ever, there's this, that we, everything has to be perfect. We have to be perfect. We have to do everything perfect. But there are the people that Jesus chose, the ones he chose. Hey, he want us to call fire down from heaven and smoke that village, get them all burned up, Lord. And that's who he chose. Peter sitting here having the revelation. Here we go. Matthew 16. And then it says, when Jesus came in the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah and others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said, but who do you say that I am? See, that's the question that the world has to answer. Who do we say Jesus is? Right? If Jesus is the son of God, if he's the Lord of our lives, well, then that's, he's the Lord. But as we all know, children don't do everything perfect, right? They don't come out of the womb and just are perfect. Children have to be trained. Christians have to be trained. But the bottom line that has to be answered is inside of your heart. What is the pillar of your life? Who do you say Jesus is? Well, listen to me. Let me just say this real straightforward, okay, so that nobody misses it. I don't want to stumble on my words or anything like that. And, 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 and if, you're, if you're not liking what I'm preaching right now, you're really not going to like this. But I want to tell you something. Listen to me. If Jesus is, if you've already made this decision of who Jesus is in your life and you believe he's the son of God, well, then wanting and desiring to do what his commandments are should be something that comes natural to your heart. I'm not saying you do it right all the time. But you can't just want to go have an affair. You can't just want to go steal money. You can't just want to go commit murder in your heart and not be convicted. Because if there's no conviction in your heart, I'm telling you something went wrong when you answered the question of who is Jesus. It's the truth. And the world doesn't want to hear it right now, but it's the truth. So they went through here and. Look down there, it says, but Simon Peter says, but who do you say I am? He hit it right directly to Peter. Who do you say I am? And he said, well, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And he answered and says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. So it takes a move of the Holy Ghost. It takes a conviction of the Holy Ghost and a move of the Holy Ghost to come into our lives that brings that place on the inside of us to desire to do righteousness or desire to be like Jesus. How about that? Put it that away. But he said, my father in heaven revealed this to you. He said, also say, Peter, 
that on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's not Peter that he built the church of God on. It's the revelation from God of who he is and your faith in that, that then whatever you bind on earth should be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth should be loosed in heaven. You see, I, I, I tell you, I read the Bible and I read through here and I read through here and I read through here and there's no way you can read through the Bible. I, I, I found this shocking. I saw another deal where Billy Graham was on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And so I was like, what? And so I had to watch it. And he was just very matter-of-factly and whatever. And so uh, something was said. Johnny said something about uh, he didn't even know if he could, could say what all were the Ten Commandments. He didn't know if he could say them all. And Billy Graham looked at him and said, oh, sure you can. It's, we've all done them. We've all broken them. So I'm sure you could just come up with Just give me a minute and you'll do it. And then he said, and I, I, I you know, I mean, I'm, just, I'm just repeating what he said, that there was more words in the New York Times Sunday edition of the newspaper than there are in the whole New Testament. And that if he would, he was making the point, if a person says they can't read the Bible, it's just, you know, whatever, if they read the paper from cover to cover, the New York Times Sunday edition from cover to cover, they would have read more words than was in the New Testament. And I thought, man, that really puts it in perspective. You're telling me you couldn't go sit down and read the newspaper? And you couldn't read the New Testament, because, but you could read the newspaper? You follow me? See, everybody makes excuses, but when you look at that, it's like, what? Can you imagine? Okay, just imagine you're before the throne and you're talking to Jesus. He said, did you ever, I'm not saying he's going to say this. Everybody don't freak out. But although we, our church, we're reading the New Testament this year. So anyway, uh, you go to Jesus and Jesus says, did you read my word? And he said, well, no, Lord, I didn't have, I didn't. He says, well, it says right here that every Sunday you read the newspaper. You're like, well, what does it ever do anything? Well, it was larger than, the, than my newspaper. Put that in some perspective. Huh? You're going to tell Jesus that you couldn't read his word, but you could read the newspaper? And so then that made me start to think, I, I'm going to have to go look it up and see how many words there are in the New Testament and then compare that to like Field and Stream magazine or something like that that we would know and, and then literal words because you don't think about advertisements and all that kind of stuff you read the advertisements there anyway <laughs> all i'm saying is he didn't make it too hard for us but we sure have made it hard on ourselves trying to avoid it all right and then so he says this is what you're going to build my church on and then and, and then it says and uh then i'll build my church and the gates of hell can't prevail it the gates of hell cannot prevail against something that's so set as a foundation within your life and your faith and truth is in something that is truth that's spirit and life hell isn't going to prevail against it hell may hit on your roof you know but hell's not going to prevail didn't say that the wolf wouldn't come to your house and huff and puff, but he ain't blowing it down if it's founded upon the rock. And all I'm saying is we make it so complicated. We make it, we make it so, oh, you know, you, 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 that's only for those people that, you know, know the Bible forwards and backwards and quote every scripture, da 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 
No, it's for the people that have faith in who he is. And once you lose that, you've got nothing. You've got nothing to stand on. Nothing to stand on. So now I want to take you to the Old Testament right quick. Go to uh, Isaiah 32, 17, 32, 17. So then if you become this person, that then you can be a rock be built upon. It says here in verse 17, the work of righteousness will be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. <laughs> in other words, once you're rooted and you're grounded, boom, you're sitting there. Well, then you've got to focus on that. This is where I'm at. This is who I am. This is what I believe. This is the rock. This is what we're building my life on is this foundation of belief that Jesus Christ is the son of God. This is what I'm doing. This is where I'm going. This is the person I'm going to be. This is my identity. Well, then he says, peace comes in your life, quietness and assurance forever. Then it goes on to say, my people will dwell in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. Doesn't that sound like a nice place? That sounds like a good place to go. That sounds like a good place to live, right? A secure dwelling, a peaceful habitation, a quiet resting place. You see, folks, the world's in turmoil. The world's flipping around doing this and that and the other. And I've, I've cautioned you and cautioned you and cautioned you about getting caught up in everything that's going on to where you become irritated and distracted with things in life, you just have to maintain your house of righteousness. You just have to maintain living in this place and this quiet resting place. That's where you need to be. God will sort the rest out. And believe me, he's going to sort it out. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2.19. 1 Thessalonians 2.19. It says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? Now, listen to this. Think about this. Folks, I know I say this all the time, but I just got to say it, and I'll say it forever. Listen to me. There is nothing that's worth living for than to set your sights at the moment you're going to meet Jesus and to hear him say, well done, that good and faithful servant. That should be the goal of our lives, that we've lived our lives pleasing unto him, that at the end of it, he's going to say, well done, that good and faithful servant. Not that we've accomplished, and I'm not against accomplishing great things on this earth, but I'm saying that should not be our focus. Are satisfying our flesh. It's got to be that end result. And he said, when that is your end result, it's going to be, it's going to be your, if that's your hope, then you're going to have joy and a crown, a crown of rejoicing. What does that look like? Think about it. What is a, you put it on your head and you start laughing. I mean, what, what? It's the happy crown. You sit it on your head and everybody's just like, ha ha, yes, ha. The crown of rejoicing. Bring out the crown of rejoicing. 
Can't even imagine that. What is it going to look like? See, I think people are going to really mess up because I think there's a lot of people think that in heaven, you know, like, like we're all like little minions, you know, and we're all in little white robes and everybody steps forward and goes to the next person and the next person steps forward and we just are all there. Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. And I tell you what, I guarantee you what, I'm going to be freaking out. And I'm going to be doing a dance like I have never done because I want to have a limber body and I can do some moves. And I ain't going to be jumping and leaping. I'm going to be, man, I ain't going to be doing the moonwalk and every other kind of walk I can come up with. I mean, I won't be able to do it. Now I think I can, but I can't. But then I want to have my spirit body on, man. I am going to be some sort of something. I mean, can you imagine going to the throne before Jesus, the one who saved us and redeemed us and died for us, and, and, you're, and you're, you're there, and you're made it, and you're in eternity? What are you going to do to say, thanks, Lord, appreciate it. Uh, where's my room? What time do we eat? Oh, what a day. How about Jude 124, right? It says, now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Jesus is going to present you before the Father with exceeding joy. He's going to be so happy that you're there and he brings you in and says, and he, and, whoo, man, what a day. Are you with me? All this comes about when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, when you make him that rock, that foundation life that you said, where else am I going to go, Lord? What else am I going to do? When you do that, then all of a sudden, this becomes your eternity. What's going to go there? Not what are you going to do when you're in, in, in retirement? How many holes of golf are you going to get in? Any of that kind of stuff you're dreaming about? No, it becomes this. Looking to that, that exceeding joy. Right? Last scripture, 1 John 2.15. 1 John 2.15. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, I don't have a hard time with it because I believe that there's a lot of things that we experience on this earth just like the tabernacle was a pattern of what was in heaven. I believe that there's a lot of things that we do experience on this earth that is good, like family dinner, Right? I love to sit around. I, I, my whole, it's, a, it's a heritage in my family. When I was a kid, we went to my grandparents' house. My parent, grandparents, every Sunday afternoon, had a big spread set. We ate roast. We ate those little rolls. Oof. All right? Carrots and potatoes. And we had this. And then there was some big dessert. That was every Sunday. Every Sunday after church, we went to my grandparents' house. Now, there was occasions, you know, something would come up when we didn't. But it was almost every Sunday. And I've tried to carry that tradition on in my life with my family to come. And everybody sits down and we have Sunday dinner. And we, then we sit around and we drink coffee and we take naps. I take a nap. <laughs> but this is a part of our, this is like, this is a part of my life. But it's a good thing. You see what I'm saying? It's a part of the world. So when he, when he says here, do not love the world or the things in the world, I believe there's some good things that are patterns. Why not? We go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We sit as a family. It's going to be a big table. I don't know how that works. And you pass me the mashed potatoes. 
But if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What he's talking about, if, if, if you can't see eternity, you can't want to be in eternity, want to be there with Jesus, want the, the, to, to, to step over into that, that, that presence of God. He says, if you don't, lo- if you don't then you're, if you're loving the world, then, oh, you know, I don't want to go. No, if you're loving the world so much like that, then he says, the love of the Father is not in you. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, look at this, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is, it not, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world's passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So here we go. Everything we see here is going to go away. So I don't want to live for the temporal. I want to live for the eternal, right? I want to live for that hope of standing there before Jesus and get my crown of rejoicing. That's got to be fun. That's what we live for. Amen. So again, don't let all the things in this world get you messed up. Don't let all the things that's going on get you sidetracked. You keep your righteousness going. You keep your faith going. You keep living out there. You keep hanging on to the pillars of God. You keep confessing, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. You're my Savior. And walk on. Just keep walking on. Even if you're just taking little bitty inch steps, you're still going forward. And he will keep you from stumbling. He will get you and present you before the throne of God, faultless and blameless. Amen? I want to read this one more time. of The work of righteousness will be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. Amen? Amen. Well, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that scripture over you tonight. So, so I tell you what, I'm going to pray. I'm going to, I'm going to pray over the offering. I'm going to pray over everybody listening and watching. And I want you just to receive this right where you're at, right, right now, wherever you are. Lord, I pray right now that as people set you as the righteousness of their life, Lord, as they set it as a pillar in their life, that they're not going to be moved off of it. It becomes the rock of their life. Everything of who they are, that Jesus, you are the Lord of their life. I thank you, Lord, that that effect of that becomes quietness and assurance in their life. That they will dwell in peaceful habitations, Lord God, in secure dwellings in a quiet resting place. So, Lord, everyone out there listening to this, everyone out there, Lord God, that peace comes upon them right now. That as they hear this message, that this prayer is prayed over them, Lord, I declare that right where they are becomes a quiet resting place with you right there with them, your presence upon them, blessing them, touching them, ministering unto them. Lord, the craziness of the world, the chaoticness going on, it begins to just subside because, Lord, they're there with you in that dwelling place of the Most High, under the shadow of the Almighty, Lord God, living with you. And so, Lord, I praise you for that. Lord, we stretch our faith out for that tonight. We believe in it. We believe you're blessing us. We believe you're blessing our homes, our families, Lord God, our finances. I declare finances that people prosper in Jesus' name as they turn to you, as they trust in you, Lord God. And so, Lord, I thank you for that. Bless them tonight. Bless everyone here. Bless everyone listening. Bless their finances, Lord God. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Hey, God bless you, church.